Welcome to today's episode of the Cook, Eat, Nourish podcast with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. Today, if hunger isn't the problem, then food isn't the solution. I had a great chat with Elsa Jones, nutritional therapist today, and she's given us loads of different tips that are easily applicable for all of us. So make sure you listen all the way to the end to get to her three top tips. And I hope you enjoy the show. So Elsa, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to my audience, please? Yes, I would. Thank you for having me. Um, So basically, I am a a qualified nutritional therapist. So I qualified in 2010 and I have been working with clients for the last, so where are we, 13 years now. So a combination of doing uh, one-to-one consultations and also doing um, group courses. So kind of live group courses and and online group courses. Um, I'm based in Dublin, but as the way the world is now and um, I can you know work with anyone from from any part of the country or any part of the world um, online which is amazing and um, yeah I, people probably know me best from uh, what well, I, I used to present a, a series on TV3 as it was formerly known called How Healthy Are You and I have written a book called Goodbye Sugar um, which I'm proud to say was a number one bestseller which um, yeah I was very happy about because it, it was my baby but um, yes, yeah, they know it's... me. Yeah, they know me from the book probably quite a lot. I'm probably kind of, you know, I do a lot of. Um, I'm a nutrition expert on Today FM with Dermot and Dave. So that's where probably most people might uh, connect me with. And yeah, so it's it's really. Um, this is the area I've worked in for the last thirteen years. Fantastic, and so. Um... Goodbye, sugar. Now, I know sugar cravings is one area that you would work with with a huge amount. Do you want to maybe tell me a little bit about how how the book works or what the journey is through the book and how you help people with sugar cravings? Yes. Um, well, I'd say in terms of like how the idea of the book was born was because when I qualified in nutrition in 2010, I started straight away doing consultation work. And within about a year, I began to realize that giving people, you know, a diet sheet, you know, no matter how perfect or great the diet advice is, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to actually have long lasting success. And I realized that, you know, making diet change, particularly big diet changes, if if you're really coming from one end to another, like for example, if you've used to eat a lot of sugar and do a lot of comfort eating, and now let's say you have to go on, on a diet plan, which has very little sugar and lots of fruit and vegetables, it can be very daunting for people. And people can feel very um, deprived initially, um, motivation levels can wane. And I really began to realize that um, so many of us really use food to comfort and to soothe. Mm-hmm. So I, I really began to, to, to realize how strongly connected our eating behavior is to our emotions and to our mindset. So that led me to then go on. And after I studied nutritional therapy, I practiced for a year or so. I went on to do a diploma in cognitive behavioral therapy because I wanted to use CBT-based strategies in my work for um, weight management in particular. So looking at mindset, negative 
sabotaging thought patterns and how they affect our eating behavior. So I started to bring in the CBT strategies mixed with the nutrition and I developed a mind-body weight management program. And I, I began to see the results of it working one-to-one. -one. And I, then I started to think, okay, well, how can I, how can I bring this to more people? Um, and then I also did it, I did some studying and, and some training in, in mindfulness and I started bringing in the mindful eating. So I began to realize that kind of, in my opinion, the, the, the sort of the magic formula was when you, when you connected the nutrition and diet advice with working on the mindset and the emotions. So it started out, as I say, with the program I just did with people one-to-one, -one, but then it, it evolved into the book. And the reason I suppose the book is called Goodbye Sugar is what I observed over the years is that the book came out in 2015. So I think I was working for five years at that point by the time it came out working with people. And I really began to realize that the, the food that people most connected to emotions, in other words, when we comfort eight, what we tend to reach for is sweet things. Um, and I really began, people would say to me all the time, like, you know, I'm so good during the day and I make my, my porridge and my fruit in the morning and I make my big bowl of vegetable soup and I, I really put effort into my dinners, but come the evening time after a tough day, I just, I can't help myself. Just the sweet cravings kick in. I need that comfort while I'm watching TV. So I really decided to kind of hone the, the strategies in based on sugar because I felt that's the, the, the missing piece for people and, and, and the part that so many people struggle with. Okay. And so what do they replace the sugar with? <laughs> so, well, in, okay. Funny enough, actually, it's interesting that you asked that question because there's a lot of different ways I could answer it. Um, first of all, I'd like to say, I am not anti-sugar. <laughs> I'd like to clear that up. Um, I don't believe that we need to eliminate sugar from our diets in order to be healthy and, and to have a balanced diet. However, I think there's two camps when it comes to sugar. There are people who can do sugar in moderation. So for example, they can have a few squares of chocolate. They could maybe say, oh, I'll, I'll switch maybe to some dark chocolate or I can have a bickey or two. Or, you know, if I go out for a meal, I might have a dessert. But most of the time, I'm conscious not to consume too much and I'm able to manage it in moderation, okay? Then there are the camp who really, really struggle to have control when it comes to sweet things. So it's basically, it's all or nothing. So if they start with a couple of squares of chocolates or a couple of biscuits, they really struggle to leave it at that. And it spirals then into, into eating the full pack of biscuits or two bars of chocolates. And then it just, you know, it, it spirals into maybe a day of eating or a week of overeating. And what I have found observed over the years is for the people who really struggle with control around sugar, they are, in my opinion, better off doing a sort of uh, a sugar detox for a short, even a short period of time to just get that control back. So for example, in the book and, and on my website as well, there is actually a free plan there, by the way, just it's a, it's a 10 day sugar free kickstart plan for somebody who just feels they need a kickstart to try and come off sugar, because it's really hard if you're consuming a lot of it. And then people move on to, let's say, what I call my perfect balance plan, which is where sugar is allowed, but in more moderate terms. So I think if you're trying to reduce your sugar intake, you have to look at the emotional side of it. So dealing with the comfort element and yeah. all that. 
But then, you know, as I'm sure you know as well, there's the physical side of it as well. So if you are consuming a lot of sugar, if you're consuming a lot of processed carbs, so a lot of, you know, white bread and cereals and pizzas and crackers and pasta, and you're not consuming enough protein and healthy fats and fiber in your meals, what can happen is, is that your blood sugar levels get thrown off balance and your, your blood sugar and your insulin levels can become dysregulated. And then you get caught in a cycle where the more you consume, the more you crave. So you get these sort of blood sugar highs and blood sugar lows. So then what happens when you, you eat something very sugary, you get a sugar high, then it's followed by a sugar crash. And then what happens, of course, you shave, you crave more sweet things and possibly caffeine to kind of perk yourself back up and the cycle continues. So I see an awful lot of people stuck in that cycle of sugar cravings. And it's kind of like this roller coaster that you can't get off. So that's where something like the 10 day sugar detox helps you to get off the roller coaster, sort of reset, recalibrate the system. And then it's about finding your balance then. So you ask me, okay, what can you replace it with? I think it comes down to the individual. Like I can have a few squares of chocolate, I can have a couple of biscuits and I can leave it at that. But not everybody can do that. So I just think it depends personally, the route that the person goes. Some people find it easier to just do no sugar. Yeah, well, you know, I it brings me back to a time when I was kind of project managing the, the build on the house. And uh, every day, oh, my goodness, I used to go in the school pickup and I used to have Diet Coke and chocolate biscuit cake. And I mean, chocolate biscuit cake is the highest sugar thing there is. <laughs> but, you know, I'll say it got to the stage that I'd say today was a good day. I got so much done. This is completed. It's great. I deserve this. Mm. And then another day will be, oh, my God, today is so bad, so stressful. What am I going to do? I'm going to have this. And I, I got into a habit then for a little while. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do relate to that and, and the whole emotion things. And one of the things I noticed as well over Christmas was that if I had, um, I suppose I don't want to be dissing any brands, but if I have my square of dark chocolate or even a, just a dark chocolate sweet or something, I might have one, maybe two, which is what I would normally have. But because there were other um higher sugar, lower cocoa solid content chocolates around, one never seemed to be enough. Mm. There seems to be some type of an addictive thing. Well, it's in the sugar really, I suppose, isn't it? So there's a, when there's the higher sugar, I just found you end up eating more. Um, whereas normally I just have a, a square maximum two of dark chocolate and I'm more than happy. Yeah. And it's, listen, it's so true. And I think we can all relate to exactly what you are saying, myself included, of those times in your life where food and particularly sweet foods become your crutch to get through. And usually I think there's a huge connection between stress, overwhelm, lack of energy and uh, using food as a crutch. Um, but as I said, then it, it becomes sort of a vicious cycle because the more you consume of the sugary foods and the caffeine, the more you need them, the more your body mm. demands them. So it's it's it can be difficult. And, and that's not to say you know, we shouldn't eat any sugary foods. We shouldn't drink any caffeine. I love a cup of coffee. I love a bit of chocolate, but it comes down to how much you are consuming um, and, you know, how moderate you are able to be. Interesting what you say about the dark chocolate. I, I agree with you in the sense that, and I think almost there's a physical element to that too, because I think um, our, our, our taste buds become 
very accustomed to a certain level of hit of sweetness, don't they too? Yeah. Um, and then also when we eat um, sweet foods, it does basically light up um, our dopamine receptors in our brain. So our reward centers in our brain get sort of lit up essentially when we eat sweet foods. But the problem is we build up a bit of a tolerance over time. So the more sweet foods that we eat, the more we need to get that same level of dopamine hit. It's like, for example, if, you, if, you, if you're regularly taking painkillers, over time you'll build up a tolerance and you'll need more or stronger ones to get the same effect. Yes. And, and one of the things that I find with it all as well is that, um, you know, if I can stop and think about how I feel, it's much better. So on reflection, for example, if you had some type of fast food um, meal at the time, if you're really hungry and everything, it might feel great. But an hour later, mm. if I reflect, I'm probably going to be sluggish and then soon after hungry again. Whereas if I had, I'm going to say a beautiful lentil dish that was really satisfying you know, I would feel full and satisfied, but then afterwards I'd feel much better and fuller for longer. So I think sometimes this is what I find that if I stop, make myself stop and reflect. So if I'm trying to change a habit, I'd stop and reflect and go, okay, well, how did I feel after that? And you can see it in the kids all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so easy, as you said, when you're, when you're hungry, particularly if you're over hungry, <laughs> Um, or if you're tired or if you're, you know, a bit pissed off, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard to make good choices in the moment. Whereas I know exactly what you're saying. If you kind of force yourself to kind of pause and say, you know, how do I want to feel? Um, you are less likely to kind of go for, for that. Like, I think when we look for food, for comfort and reward, we're looking for food to change the way that we feel. That's how you can recognize it as emotional hunger. Because, you know, I, mean, if, if, I think that's really important. It's something that I do kind of in my online classes. I, I kind of help people just to decipher what am I experiencing here? Is it physical hunger or is it emotional hunger? And um, some of the ways that we can kind of decipher it is if it's emotional hunger, it tends to kind of start in, in the mouth. It's usually very um, specific. So it's not really open to options, if you know what I mean. It's like, I need Ben and Jerry's or I need cookie dough ice cream or I need carrot cake or nachos, whatever it is. It feels usually quite urgent. Um, you tend to not stop when you're full because it was never about hunger to begin with. So it's not kind of halfway through each of the chocolate, you kind of go, oh, am I full? No, <laughs> it was never about whether you were hungry or not. And then the real telltale sign is that it is nearly always followed by feelings of regret and often um, shame. So that is often when you know that uh, you have maybe overate or, or overeaten foods that felt really good in the moment, but now there is that kind of regret level and you don't feel good about it. And I think it's really important that we even start being able to, to recognize it. Cause when we sometimes just even have more awareness and we like, I, I've, I talk about it a lot with my classes. So it always keeps me in my mind, but I have had times myself where I've walked around the kitchen, you know, that sort of aimlessly looking in presses mm -hmm. and opening the fridge. Teenagers <laughs> are brilliant at that. <laughs> 
You don't know what you're looking for, but you're looking for something. And that's when I kind of go, aha, okay, Elsa, this is, this is emotional hunger. You're not actually hungry. You are looking for something to distract you. You're looking for something uh, to make you feel better. Like often when we don't want to do something, let's say there's work that you don't want to do, or maybe between one work task and the next work task, we like to distract ourselves often with food. But I think there's a saying that I think is really important. If, if food, sorry, if hunger is not the problem, food is not the solution. Okay. Yeah. And Elsa, if you are, if somebody is in that situation, so they find themselves walking around the kitchen, looking in the cupboards and looking for something and they they want to make that um, healthier choice or shift in mindset or whatever it might be. What would you, would you have any tips of what they could do? Yes. I would say, first of all, pause. So it's like pressing pause on a remote on the TV, except you're sort of, it's, it's like your internal pause button. Often we're, we're too quick to give in to our cravings. We're too quick to just pop something in our mouth. Pause and ask yourself, first of all, is this physical hunger or is this emotional hunger? Because maybe it is physical hunger and maybe you do actually need some food and that's absolutely perfect. You know, go and eat then. If it is emotional hunger, the second question to ask yourself is, what do I really need? And if you give yourself a moment to kind of check in with your body and kind of sort of say, okay, what's going on for me now? Um, you know, am I feeling tired? Is this what it is? Am I tired? Am I looking for something to prop myself up? Am I feeling anxious? So I often get sort of an anxious feeling, in, you know, a tightness in my chest, mm -hmm. uh, maybe in my shoulders. Am I breathing fully or, or, or shallow? Um, am I feeling stressed? What do I actually need? And oftentimes, when you actually take the time to check in with yourself and say, what do I need? Usually the answer is something simple that doesn't involve food. And that might be something as simple as a 10-minute rest. It might be going for a little bit of a walk. It might be a hug. It might be um, a lit if you're working and just getting up, moving around, stretching, making a herbal tea. So I think if, if we have some uh, in the moment tools that we can turn to for comfort and for relief and things that make us feel better without always relying on food. Like I know for me, I would often get a bit of a hit, a bit of a wall in the afternoon just before it's kind of time to, to cook dinner. And when the kids are small, I always really, this was always kind of my really, you know, the witching hour. Yeah. <laughs> but I would kind of also have my own sort of witching hour in the sense, you know, that dread of there's so much to do. Dinner has to be cooked and homework has to be done and you're, you're tired. And I really resisted that. Um, and what I found was I actually just surrendered to the fact that sometimes at that time of the day, I just need to lie down for 10 minutes. And I stopped feeling guilty about it. And I actually just allowed myself to have a bit of rest when the kids are maybe having a bit of TV or iPad time, giving myself time to actually rest. So in other words, if I tune in and ask myself, what do I really need? Quite often the answer is a rest or it's some movement. You know, it's maybe I'm feeling a little bit anxious and restless and maybe I just need to move my body. And sometimes I'll do like a 10 minute 
um, yoga video on, on YouTube, online. It doesn't have to be big things, but it forces you to look at alternative coping strategies without always relying on, on food and or wine, I should add. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's particularly as we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. It, it is a bit of a that thought of going for the wine o'clock. And, and when people go through so many different emotional things, I think, yeah, quite often the um, the old, yeah, cork corkscrew yeah. is, is needed. But I like what you're suggesting there. So you're suggesting to have a toolkit that you might use so that when you pause, you can think of the different things that might work for you to check in and see what you need. Absolutely. And I've worked with a few women lately who have very demanding jobs and demanding family lives. And what I have set them an objective to do is at least twice a day, more if they can, is to set some kind of a reminder for themselves to check in with themselves. So it could be attach it to an existing habit. Do you know what I mean? So maybe, yeah. for example, when you're having a shower, when you brush your teeth, whether when you maybe have your coffee break, maybe it's at lunchtime, that you use that time to check in with yourself and kind of say, okay, how am I today? Am I breathing well? Am I really shallow? Am I stressed? Is there anything I can do now that is actually going to help me to move towards my goal. That could be, for example, okay, well, I've checked in with myself at lunchtime. It's reminding me why it's so important to me to eat nutritious food. I'm going to pop out now to the supermarket on my lunch break. I'm going to get some salmon for dinner because it's important for me. I've reminded myself, I've checked in and I've refocused that I did make a commitment to eat oily fish once a week. And it's just because when we're so busy, and it happens to me too, I'm not immune to it either, but we can we can we go too far down our priority list. When there are so many demands mm. in the day, it can be really hard, and particularly as women, to prioritize our own health and our own self-care. And I think, um, and that's why I do so much work around mindset and emotions and belief systems, because if ultimately you don't believe that you are worthy of self-care, it's very unlikely that me handing you an eating plan or a wellness plan is actually going to stick because life is going to get busy and everything is going to come up higher on your priority list and you will just flitter down to the end. I'm doing hand movements here as if people can see me. <laughs> Unfortunately, we haven't got that on, on the podcast yet. <laughs> I'm kind of glad, actually. So, um, okay, so that's great. So we've got lots of tips there in terms of the sugar craving and the emotional eating. And I know one of the areas that you also do work on, uh, which is an area that I would, would do in terms of um, meal planning and organization so that you don't need to hop out to the shops uh, at that lunchtime because you have everything mm -hmm organized um mm -hmm. can you tell us some of your tips in terms of being organized and and doing meal plans etc mm -hmm. um okay yeah so I suppose I'll tell my own kind of personal story first and then maybe a little bit of the work that I do with on my classes but for me personally I used to before I had kids I used to cook from scratch every evening and I used to enjoy it and when the kids came along and when they were very small, all of a sudden cooking in the evening became very challenging. Um, 
just having small kids hanging at my feet, the kind of the guilt of, you know, maybe having been doing work during the day and then wanting to give them the time, feeling tired, um, them eating different things than we were eating. I had to get much uh, cuter and more clever about how I cooked. So what I started doing was, um, funny enough, I never batch cooked. I always found the notion of batch cooking a little bit overwhelming. But what I started doing and what worked really well for me was double cooking. So I would make a big pot of something. Let's say it was a chicken curry or a lentil dal or some kind of tomato-based vegetable sauce. I would make a big pot of something, double cook a dinner, and we would either eat it the next day. So I would refrigerate it and have it the next day, or I would freeze it. And then, you know, next week on a busy day, I'd pull it out of the freezer. And then the more times you double cook and freeze, then you build up that little, um, uh, range in your freezer of things that you can kind of pull out so I'm a big fan now of the and that was born out of my own need um, yep. and now not everybody likes to to eat repetitively personally uh, I don't mind too much I think certain things really lend themselves to that but I also think you can adapt things like even things like for example like like the kids like I don't particularly like it now but the kids like a bolognese sauce do you know the way it could, it could be a bolognese one day and the next day you could add kidney beans and rice and maybe even a little bit of avocado and turn it into a, a chili con carne or some kind of a, a wrap meal. So I think the whole idea of trying to get the most out of each cooking session or even like something um, which I often do is when I'm when I'm prepping vegetables, for example, for dinner, let's say I'm chopping up carrots, and celery and red peppers and things like that. While I'm doing that, I put some slices of the carrots and the cucumbers and the peppers into a little Tupperware box and I keep it in the fridge so that the next day when I'm hungry and I'm looking for a quick snack and I want you know some healthy veggie sticks to stick into some hummus or some pesto the next afternoon it's there or I have the basis of a salad the next day so there are little small things where you can sort of you're not cooking harder but you're, you're cooking smarter smarter yeah and one effort in yielding lots. Yes. I, that's, yeah, that's what I always um, work towards as well. So that it just, people don't have the time to uh, to be spending all the time cooking from, you know, from scratch. And, and I quite often do some when the kids are doing homework. So mm. I've got an island. So if the kids are sitting there doing the homework, I can be prepping things on the other side while watching when they were younger, um, watching without them feeling I was watching everything they were doing so um yeah. being smart about about when you you cook yeah exactly and I love a good um I love a good one pot meal and I love a good one tray of a meal if I'm feeling yes. particularly tired I think there's nothing easier than you know putting some a piece of meat or fish or chicken with roasted vegetables on a on a tray bit of salt and pepper and some olive oil shove it in the oven <laughs> And let it be cooking. And as you say, you can be doing some homework, you know, with the kids. You could be even cleaning the kitchen afterwards. But, you know, it doesn't have to be. I don't think healthy eating has to be complicated. I think if you go on to Instagram, it looks very complicated. <laughs> but I'm, I like to keep my nutrition advice and my meal suggestions and my recipes simple, tasty, mm -hmm. simple. I'm, I'm very much an advocate for the Mediterranean style diet. Um, my mother is Spanish. I kind of grew up on Mediterranean style eating. It's what I what I enjoy, and I personally think that 
There is no one size fits all when it comes to diet. However, if I had to pick one size fits all diet, it would for me, it would be the Mediterranean style diet because I think it's the one that stacks up. It's standing, it's the the, the, the test of time and it has the most research stacked yeah. for it in terms of, you know, heart health, disease prevention. Um, and it's it's sustainable and it tastes really good. Yeah, no, it is. I I mean, I think that's really kind of the one of the best ways to go is the the Mediterranean diet. But one of the things, jumping back to you mentioned to the like the tray bake, um, mm-hmm. two other reasons why I'd be a fan of that is one is as the kids get a little bit older, you can make the tray bake and they can then just literally put it in the oven later on. So if you're out when you come back in, dinner's ready. And the other thing is I find it great for, say, for example, you're doing the run to collect from rugby or swimming or whatever it might be. You can put the tray bake in the oven and set the timer. So like you obviously wouldn't do it first thing in the morning and and have the chicken or the fish at room temperature all day. But if you're heading out and you'll be back in two hours, you could pop it in and set the timer to come on in an hour. So by the time you get back in, it's all ready as well. So there are two other ways that I find really useful with with the tray bakes as well just little hacks that you can kind of make things a bit easier on yourself it's a good idea and what what types of things do you like to add to a tray bake do you think do you think do you use it more chicken or fish or what would you use as the protein source mainly um mostly i'll use chicken thigh pieces because they are nice and moist and the crisp the skin can go really crispy so mm-hmm. I will put potatoes and the red peppers and courgettes and aubergines, all onions, all of those type of things down the bottom and then put the chicken on top. So the kids, well, not the kids, we all have the crispy skin on the chicken and then you've got the nice moist thigh pieces and they can also um, do quite well in, in longer cooking because they are on the bone. So I would do those uh, quite a bit. But yes, salmon and um, hake or cod, I would tend to do um, in the oven as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they tend to be that little bit quicker. So I'm not going to do them on top of the likes of, you know, some potatoes and some veg that might take a little bit longer. But mm. yeah, chicken thighs would be my go to for tray bakes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Chicken would probably be my go to only because it's just that. Um, uh, sorry, I, I agree with you in terms of the chicken and um, it's. When I think when you have small kids as well, it's a safe bet chicken, isn't it? It wouldn't be my my favorite, but I think for kids, it's it's one of those ones that they tend to to eat. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the other thing was I wanted to ask you about was maintaining motivation. Mm. So it's great. I mean, you've already identified that you might give people a, a a diet plan, but you have gone off and done learned all these other tools like mindset and CBT, etc. So you can really help people um, embed those plans over time and, and support them. But how do you help with maintaining that motivation? And mm-hmm. um, I think the most important thing is that you. So, OK, so. When we make changes to our diet, um, sometimes it can feel like you're making sacrifices, if you know what I mean. Like if you're used, if you're trying to eat healthier and you're trying to cut down on certain things, it can feel, sometimes you might feel a little bit deprived, perhaps even initially. Um, or it just might feel like extra work. Do you know what I mean? If you're not used yep. to investing the kind of time and energy in, in, into your diet. So I think it's really important that you you really focus on what the rewards are. 
So what I do is, so for example, when I do the, the online classes, um, at the start, what we do is we do a motivational exercise where we write down what are all the benefits and rewards of me improving our diet. And we, we write it in the present tense as if it's happening already and we make it really specific. And I give people prompts. So, and then we work off that. So for example, instead of just saying, I'll have more energy, you'll write down, I'll have more energy to, you know, go for runs or walks in the park, to keep up with the kids in the playground, to stay on top of the house, to meet up with friends. You, you, you write down specifically how it's actually going to change. So you can really envision the positive results. Or it might be um, looking at, so I'm a big believer that, okay, you could sort of minimize and say, oh, well, it's only just changing what you're eating. But if you change what you, you eat, you change how you feel because you change how you feel about yourself. And that, for, and for example, if it helps you, let's say you're carrying extra weight and then you lose some weight and, and you feel really positive about that, that has a knock-on effect all areas of your life so you know your overall confidence and um, your relationships your ability and your desire to put yourself out there more and to put yourself forward for things so many people I have observed over the years if if, if you are carrying extra weight and um, it holds people back women in particular from so many aspects of their lives so everything from physical intimacy to putting themselves forwards for promotions, to allowing their photograph to be taken, to going uh, sea swimming, to going on that holiday, to wearing that bikini. There are so many ways in which we allow things like uh, overweight to hold us back. So I flip that and I kind of say to myself, okay, well, if you're looking after yourself and you're eating well, what are all the rewards that you're going to get? Do you know what I mean? So we, we write yeah. all that down. And once people have their rewards list, what I encourage them to do then is to actually uh, remind themselves of that every single day. So that's like the checking in with yourself. You're, you're reminding yourself every day. OK, why am I doing this again? And <laughs> um, what are the rewards? So if it, sometimes it feels like a sacrifice. Yeah, but remember, look at all that it brings me. You know what I mean? So look at all the benefits there is for looking after myself. And if you ever feel selfish for looking after yourself, I think it's important for women to remember everybody benefits when you are at your best. So when you put in the time to look after yourself by nourishing your body and mind and in all the ways that feel good to you, everybody around will benefit from your partner, to your husband, to your kids, to your work colleagues. That's what I but see anyway. And uh, do you have any tips on how to um, how to do that reminder of of the things every day? Is it post-its all over the place or or <laughs> what's what's your strategy? <laughs> well, I think you need to I think you either need to write down or print up the list. And um, some people feel very comfortable putting it in places where they know they'll see it. Some people feel a little bit um maybe a little bit uncomfortable, like maybe the possibility of somebody else seeing it. So like I would often have lists on the inside of my wardrobe. Uh, so does my husband. <laughs> so when you open the wardrobe, it's you can have a look there. You don't have sliding doors, obviously. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a great tip, though. 
Um, you know, some people just kind of have a set little reminders on their phone, or as I say, attach it to an existing habit. So maybe when you brush your teeth in the morning or attach it to a time in the day where you know is a weak spot for you. So for example, if you know the evening time when you get in from work is a weak spot for you, or, you know, um, nighttime snacking when kids are gone to bed and everything's cleaned up and you're tired and you're watching Netflix, that could be a weak spot for you when you're looking for snacks and snacking to make yourself feel better. Maybe it's a case when, okay, uh, after dinner, I read that list. That's my little reminder. I know that after dinner, I read that list. Or after I clean the kitchen, I'm going to make a cup of tea. And before I'm about to reach for the chocolate and biscuits, read that list. Remind yourself of why you want to do this. What do you have to gain? And I think if you, the more you um, tune in to the, 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 the vision and the feeling of how it is you want to be and how you want to feel, um, the more it, it sort of gets planted into your subconscious, you know what I mean? And you find the tools and the resources that you need to actually make that happen. Okay. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Um, and so, Elsa, just to, to wrap up, do you want to tell us about the, um, I mean, you've given us so much information today and we will go over your top three tips in a moment but what other than you've you've mentioned the the 10 day um kick the sugar campaign that you have that's a, that's a free one but what um online nutrition and weight management courses do you have coming up that if um people want to check out and, and see yes so um up to now i have been running my nutrition and weight management courses as in in, in four week uh, slots so basically it was a four-week slot and um, one hour a week in the evening time but what was happening was every group was saying what now <laughs> yeah. so what now okay now that we've gotten used to this weekly support and now we're feeling and seeing the benefit of it and um, where is it gone and what happened what was happening was many of the people were repeating the course over and again because they wanted to maintain that level of support so what I have promised them is that what I'm going to do from now on is do an ongoing nutrition and weight management group. So basically, if you, it's going to start, I'm, I'm opening up the registration now, but it's going to kick off early March. So if you um, become a member of the group, what, what I will do is I will do two live um, one-hour sessions a month. So for example, let's say a Wednesday evening, eight o'clock, we do an hour session you'll get two of those a month. And I think I think that's enough to keep people motivated and focused. So if you're doing it every two weeks and you have that support and that inspiration from me and the group, I think that's enough to keep people on track. So if anybody's interested in signing up, they can um, head over to my website. There's a tab with nutrition course not to be confused by the way with the online programs the online programs are the um the standalone self-study meal plans that you can just okay. download and do yourself whereas the live nutrition and weight management course is online via zoom and i'm there in person answering all your questions giving you the advice so you go over to the nutrition course tab and you can read about it there and email me and that's um and it's it's affordable as well and i've, I've done that on purpose because I want to 
the fact that it's online, I don't have um, big costs, if you know what I mean, doing it. So I feel I can then give that back to the person and I'm in a position then to actually keep the cost down and help as many people as possible. Fantastic. And it ties nicely back into the maintaining that motivation that you you're addressing that piece by having the the additional check in. So that's that's mm -hmm. great. And I'll pop the links in the show notes below. Um, so before we wrap up, what are your three tips, Elsa, to help improve the health of the nation? Mm. OK, and um, number one is a simple one. But just because it's simple doesn't mean we're doing it. <laughs> And that is to get your five a day. And um, the national average, believe it or not, is two and a half portions of fruit and veg a day. Now, I know that the, the five a day is now called a seven a day, but seeing as our average in this country is two and a half a day, I kind of tend to keep it at five a day because I think doubling your intake from two and a half portions to five a day is probably enough of a stretch. So, Getting your five portions of fruit and vegetables in every day. If you're having five, I'd probably do the ratio of maybe three veg, two fruit. And think of the colors of the rainbow because, you know, the more color we get, each color has its own specific uh, set of nutrients and antioxidants, phytochemicals. So it's important that we have a lot of variety. So lots of different color. Don't try and get it all into your evening meal, which so many people do. <laughs> you know, they wait until the evening time to do the carrots and the broccoli. You're going to have to try and add in, like, it's it's simple stuff, as you know. Things like throwing in some blueberries into your porridge in the morning. Um, slicing up a bit of tomato and cucumber and throwing it into your sandwich at lunchtime. Having, you know, um, a piece of fruit with a handful of nuts at a snack in the afternoon and then getting a couple of portions of veg in the evening time. It's habit. It's not uh, rocket science, but in terms of a change that can have a really positive outcome on your overall health, I think it's one of the most important uh, things we can do for our health is to eat five portions of fruit and vegetables a day. Because in terms of our immune system, our fiber and um, our gut health, you need to be eating your fruit and vegetables and you need to be getting a nice mix between raw and lightly cooked as well so i think simple things like what i was saying if you're chopping up your carrots and celery for dinner munch on a few carrot sticks so that yep. you're getting a nice amount of raw in as well as cooked and i know that's a little bit harder in a colder country and um, i funnily grew up my mom i suppose being spanish always made salads <laughs> even in the depths of winter we would always have a salad with our dinner and i think i've always kind of kept that up um, you just kind of get used to it to have it. And I yeah. think it's a really easy way to actually have veggies on the side. So that would be number one. Um, number two, I would say, make friends with the humble bean. And I'm not talking about baked beans. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with baked beans. You know, my little boy loves baked beans. It really amuses me, I have to say. Um, he'd eat them every day if he could, only I won't let him. But um, I think in terms of, you know, a food that will give you protein. So obviously beans and lentils, things like, you know, chickpeas, lentils. And I know you're aware of all these types of foods. But I find, I'm sure you do too, Irish people tend 
not to know what to do with beans and lentils. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely, when I'm giving people diet sheets and meal plans, I'll always give them recipes for things to do with beans and lentils because they're so easy, you know, um, and they're so um, economical. But in terms of what they offer, that fiber, that plant-based protein, they're a great alternative to meat. They're filling, they feed the good bacteria in our gut. So I think once you have one or two recipes on the go that incorporate beans and lentils, like I, I have a, a sort of a, a red lentil ragu that my kids like. I have um, a sort of a lentil dal that my kids like. I, you know, if you have one or two meals in your repertoire that you know you can turn to, I think that's wonderful. Um, and then the third thing would be, again, in a similar vein, nuts and seeds. I think we, some of us have a fear when it comes to nuts because we think that they're fattening or when we think of nuts, we think of, you know, dry roasted peanuts in the pub. <laughs> and there's this tends to be a bit of a, a lot of women scared of eating nuts and thinking that maybe they might yeah. cause weight gain. But really they just are nutritional powerhouses that for, for such a, a small amount of food, like, now, you can't go nuts in terms of portions. So, yeah, I was going to ask you, what is your <laughs> top tip for a portion of nuts? Yes. So it is a palmful, not a fistful or a handful. It is a palmful, whatever fits into the palm of your hand. So that would equate to probably about four Brazil nuts or about eight almonds or eight cashew nuts. So it's not a huge amount. But what it's what it does is nuts are a great snack. They help you stay fuller for longer. They give you lasting energy. So they're a great one if you want to prevent that sort of mid-afternoon slump. They're very um, satisfying. And seeds, I think, again, are so important. You know, when we talk about gut health, when we talk about um, omega-3s, heart health, something as simple as adding a tablespoon of flaxseed to your porridge or your cereal or your smoothie in the morning it's a small change, but one that yields a lot of positive results. So I think a portion of seeds a day, a portion of nuts a day, uh, lentils and beans at least twice a week, and your five a day would be I'm my three top is- tips. Loads of uh, yeah, you've done well to get so many different things into the into the three tips, but that's a fantastic uh, <laughs> tips there. Thank you, and and things that people can easily apply. And I think a lot of it is I know I have some international audience, but um, the thing with the the beans and the nuts and the seeds and that is that and the lentils, the legumes that it's something that wasn't traditionally in historically in our diets in Ireland. And um, but as you know, with the health studies in countries where it has been, they have, you know, huge benefits. So uh, thank you so much for all of those tips. That has been absolutely fantastic. And um, as I say, I will pop all of your details in the show notes below. So thank you very much, Elsa. Thank you for having me, Fiona. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast on Cook, Eat, Nourish with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe, rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you pop over to my website, fionasfoodforlife.ie, you'll find lots of recipes, videos, inspiration and upcoming courses. Thanks a million. Thanks a million.